Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Clam, Clam Bake. Pouty it like me now, maybe as a chowder or on a platter with melted butter and tangy mustard in a cluster from the coast of California. A trust of luscious muscles bathed in the gravitational pull of the moon with a new batch coming soon. Fresh baked and tastefully welcoming you to the Clam Bake. Welcome to the Clam Bake. Welcome to the Clam Bake. Welcome to the Clam Opposite of a sausage fest. Yeah, it is. I'm Lindsay Stidham. And I'm Angela Gallner, and we want to be better feminists. Damn it, we do. Each week, we interview different guests about their experiences, challenges, triumphs, and follies with feminism. Because being a feminist is tough. And also being a human is it's complicated. Diff- it's difficult and complicated. Yeah, it's all hard. It's all hard. So that's why we're here. Because our best resource is each other, really. So Angela Sanchez is back in the studio. Not only is she back, but it's her birthday. It's her birthday. Woo! Happy Thank you birthday. for having me to you. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Happy to me. <laughs> we're so excited to have you back. Um, yeah. You'll remember Angela from our Woman in, Women in Magic episode. If you haven't listened, you can go back and listen. Which I've actually heard from multiple people as being their favorite episode. Yeah. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, everyone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I just think you know, it's like people don't know much about it, so it's like super exciting to learn all, all of the amazing things you talked to us about. It was such a fun episode, and then <laughs> Lindsay and I were like, "Oh, Angela's amazing. She's so amazing. We're so, we loved having her." And then we open up, well, the browser, not the actual physical copy of the LA Times, <laughs> yeah. To find out that the book you published is based on experiences that you went through. Yes. Yeah. You're just like an onion that we're just peeling and learning all all sorts of new things about you. Yeah. Yeah. And you're featured in the LA Times for that. And you've been like selling your book like hotcakes, which is amazing. Well, uh, I can really thank the LA Times for getting that kind of that launch and publicity for Scruffing the Egg. And... um, Really, it's uh, it's something I've always wanted for this book is to be able to get a heightened level of visibility because it does have a bit of a niche target audience in terms of addressing themes of homelessness, single parenthood, and adoption. I, uh, I want to have control over the distribution, make sure that the families who are essentially discussed and whose narratives are being shared here had the opportunity to receive this book. So during the launch held in December, we launched actually at School on Wheels, Inc., a nonprofit that specifically provides services um, and educational support to K-12 students experiencing homelessness. Cool. So amazing. It is very cool. Um, it's, just, it's just so incredible. Can you give us a quick... Um, just a quick, what is Scruffy and the Egg? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so um, Scruffy and the Egg is essentially about a dog who was abandoned by his family during the recession. <laughs> and uh, low-key note on the recession, you have to kind of pick through the illustrations to get that sense. Um, and uh, along, so like any good dog, he goes out and attempts to find his family. And then instead of finding his family, he finds an egg. And the book itself is about... Um, Essentially, family is where you find it. And what does it mean to build your own tight-knit family? What does it mean then to still find happiness even though you don't necessarily have a perfect ending? So Scruffing the Egg was a story that my dad and I used to tell each other when we were going through tough times too. And so the back and forth of having a dog um, and an egg and therefore a family unit without a home really for us meant um, the experience that we were going through being homeless during the recession. So for my last years of high school, I was homeless. And uh, this meant that my dad and I, we motel hopped, his credit ran out, and then we wound up in an emergency shelter and eventually in a family shelter. Um, Just, uh, I guess, kind of concluding on that note, um, Scruffing the Egg became the way that we contextualize our narrative and sort of found a bit of an outlet, a bit of, um, I guess, optimism in what we were going through and being able to put it in the context of this is a big adventure. (laughs) Think of it like uh, a stray dog and, well, my dad's word, you're the egg, you're the brat egg. (laughs) 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 And that gave us a bit of a running story for the two to go through. I love that. So it's meant to be a series. Book one's out. I love that. I <laughs> yeah. love that. So so it during the recession was when you and your dad hit hard times. And was it just you and your dad at home? Yes. Yeah, so mm-hmm. um, I uh, I was mostly raised by my dad. Uh, my parents uh, divorced when I was about 10. 
and um, excuse me, and the uh, financial kind of upheaval that came with that. Um, my dad had to dedicate more time to his family. We had a lot of other um, internal circumstances that were going on. And ultimately, it did take a strain on our finances when my parents divorced. So um, my father got custody of me. And um, for the time, though, that everything was kind of going on, he also, his background was in architecture, but he missed that technological jump that was being made with AutoCAD and architecture itself as a field transitioning from hand-drawn work to more AutoCAD and other um, computer-designed uh, work. So um, during that time, it then became harder for him to transition, harder for him to find work. And then when the recession hit and we went into um, a housing bubble and then it burst, uh, it just became impossible for someone who had only their AA in architecture and then on top of that, fairly antiquated skills to really find solid employment. Yeah. So that's how in 2007, one week shy of Thanksgiving, we lost our home. Wow. Oh, wow. What was that like for you as a young teen? Yeah, so I was 16 when that happened. And I mean, it was probably the most surreal experience of my life. Um, you really don't get over that. Uh, so I would say like one of my most distinct flashbulb memories would be the experience of having the locks on our door changed. Because oh. everything leading up to that was just kind of preparing to go homeless, but not actually being homeless. Packing our, our stuff into boxes and putting them in storage, salvaging what we could, giving away what we couldn't save. And then and the eviction notices. Mm -hmm. um, but then finally, the day that the officer was scheduled to come at about one o'clock in the afternoon, I remember very vividly uh, him knocking on the door, asking me and my dad, what are you still doing here? And... Uh, I want to say we live here, but technically we didn't anymore. Mm -hmm. And then uh, my dad going over to just pick up one last bag, the officer pushing past me and saying, excuse me, ma'am. And then the first thought going through my head being, ma'am, I'm 16 years old. I'm not even old <laughs> enough to vote yet, you know, yeah. about housing policies or anything like this. Anyways, uh, the locks on our door were, cha were changed. Um, and that day we officially became homeless. So like I said, um, at first, we were able to, I guess, stave off um, a lot of the rough edges of being homeless initially when my dad um, still had a credit account. Sure. Um, and that kind of got us through the winter and holiday period. Mm -hmm. But by the end of January, his credit ran out, and I was in the middle of midterms for high school. <sighs> so this is my junior year of high school here, when most people are, like, taking SATs, ACTs, yeah, all that like stuff. worrying about acronym. prom dates yeah, and so trying to cure their acne. <laughs> yeah, God. <laughs> Had that too on top of everything. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, then there was this about a week or so there that we were in an emergency family shelter. So yeah. an emergency family, or excuse me, an emergency shelter. Um, it's a cold winter shelter, which just means that it's cold during this time of year and you get to be in the church's cafe gematorium. Mm -hmm. You get to sleep on a cot. Um, sometimes there's a meal in the evening. Sometimes there's not. Lights go off at 10, you wake up at 5, and you're out the door. Wow. So it's just like, it's a place to stay at night so you have a place to crash. Yeah. And you get everyone kind of just pushed into one room. Um, so there's no privacy. There's really no security. This is actually one of the reasons a lot of folks who are homeless don't like going to shelters. Right. Because there's no guarantee of security of your belongings or even your own person. Wow. So uh, my dad watched me like a hawk. Did you feel physically unsafe there? We got moved over to a family section of the church, so mm -hmm. that was helpful. Uh, the lights did go off at 10, though, and yeah. I was taking four AP classes. I didn't go to bed at 10. Right. <laughs> I was just thinking. I was up to, like, 2 a.m. my junior year all right. the time, like, yeah. studying. It's, like, your most stressful year of high school. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. This is the year that college is looking at my stuff. Totally. You know, I mean, yeah. bearing in mind, I wasn't sure if I even go to college at that point. Well, and know? I'm just seeing, like, <laughs> looking into the future and how successful your college career was. And, right. And, you know, we covered that a little bit in the last – well, last time you were on, I mean, it's just so impressive and astounding that th these were the circumstances and, and you just like right. so, fucking kicked ass. Like I went over to, so lights went off. I went over to the doorway and just kind of worked there on my projects for a while. Um, and I did everything I could to really make that attachment to school life. Mm -hmm. Because when I was at school, I was a smart kid. I was a nerd. I was everything but homeless. Mm -hmm. And so 
at the uh, at the emergency cold winter shelter, there are no showers. There's no place to really clean up. And I was a teenage girl, and I was on my period. I felt filthy. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like, washing up over in the local McDonald's, and you realize how weird you look, especially yeah. when other patrons walk in. And then going straight from there to school right afterwards. But at least I got to be in school. Like, that was my escape. Yeah. You know? yeah. And I yeah. didn't tell anyone was going on except for our principal because he had to know for, you know, Bobby's right, right. Um, security reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but my dad said, you know, if you want to tell anyone about this, I'm going to leave that up to you. Yeah. And I really appreciated that because there's so much stigma associated with homelessness. Right. You know, and even today, we it's still like you wouldn't say the in front of any group of any ethnicity or even say, you know, like the gays like our mm-hmm. president does. <clears throat> mm-hmm. yeah. um, but you can still somehow say the homeless or right, the right. hungry or the if it has to do with economics, somehow class is still the untouched area of prejudice that we find acceptable in our society. Mm. Yeah, that's so true, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So, so you chose not to tell anybody but the principal, not your friends, not your teachers. Mm-mm. Yeah. No one really knew until I started applying to colleges. I needed someone to look over my personal statement. Mm-hmm. So by then, that's when I started letting a couple of my teachers know and a counselor. Did you? So did you write about that experience for your essay? Yes, I did. Yeah. You know, because I, I still managed to maintain my GPA. Um, I still managed to go into a couple of volunteer events, and I would still volunteer after school in the homework lab. But I did also want to explain, you know, these are the things I'm going through right now. Yeah. And I hope that it will be understood that not everyone is able to apply to college. And, God, I was so lucky because my dad kept me going to the same school that, uh, that in the district that we had gone homeless in. Now, one of the things we didn't know about, and there's supposed to be a homelessness liaison at every district. We didn't know that. But there's so little disbursement of information, it's very easy to miss this stuff. One of the things we also missed was the McKinney-Vento Act, which means that when you go homeless in your district of origin, that student is allowed to continue and finish their schoolwork there. Mm-hmm. Um, but So that's another reason we only told the principal. Right. <laughs> because, you know, we're like, okay, we're going to keep this low-key because our shelter was in Pasadena, but my district was in Glendale. Yeah. I didn't want to lose all my schoolwork and other stuff. Um, a lot of things that... A lot. One of the biggest hurdles that students who are homeless often experience is that they have this long paper trail of transcripts that they're almost never able to track down all the way. And yeah. when you're applying to college, the first thing that's always being asked for is your transcript. transcript. Yeah. So w- so there's a liaison, you said, for your district. So there was a liaison. There should have been. There should I have been. I never knew, though. Yeah. So And that was never told to us. It was just one of those things that no one was sure what to inquire huh. for because... Mm. Also, the idea of homeless students, again, isn't really talked about. Right. Yeah. And usually a liaison, that's like they have a full job title doing something else, and they're just stuck with that one on top of it. Yeah. So finding, one, the right resources, often there's not enough dissemination about that information. And then, two, usually when you are a student who's experiencing homelessness, you stay quiet like I did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So not too many people are even aware how to help you. Mm -hmm. Again, I, I appreciate what my dad did say and if anyone is experiencing homelessness and they're in high school like I was I totally respect and understand the decision to stay quiet do I regret my decision a teensy bit because if I had you know squeaky wool gets the grease if I had made more noise I probably would have been able to find more resources sure Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and I still that's why I am more forthcoming with my experiences today because I see how much that means in order to raise the profile and the visibility of students who are homeless a lot of people don't realize that the average age of a homeless youth under the age of 18 is actually eight years young. Mm-hmm. And um, out of everyone who's experiencing homelessness, one in four is a child. So wow. one in four is someone under 18. And I, I don't know if this fact still holds true because the article I found is a bit old, but apparently the highest, the most fast rising group of homeless people is women and single moms. That's very true. Yeah. 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 And 40% of all um, people experiencing homelessness are families. Mm-hmm. The typical family being a mom with about two kids. Yeah, yeah. Did you interact with um, a lot of other families that were in similar situations to yours? So uh, moving on from the cold winter shelter, Yeah. about um, a week later after we had been there, um, we got admitted 
college admission. <laughs> uh, we got admitted to a family shelter on February 6th, my birthday. Oh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, all these things just happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, so it was the most interesting birthday present I got, probably. Uh, yeah. I turned 17 that day. And um, oh, 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> and so having that transition from an emergency shelter to a family shelter was really good because that was stability. And that also meant we got assigned a bed, so I didn't have to, like, pick out a cot anymore. Yeah. Um, it meant we got lockers. It meant we had a, a place to return to. It meant we got a little stable, and we also had 2.5 square meals a day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I say the 0.5 because the sack lunch is a little weird. <laughs> Anyways. Um, and uh, when we were there, this was in Pasadena, it was, uh, it was actually a refurbished mortuary. Uh, yeah, I know, real trippy wow. Adam's family stuff. Yeah. And, uh, so my dad, being the architect that he was, you know, like looks at the old design plans that were framed on the wall as mm-hmm. miniatures. And he's like, yeah, so that right there, that looks like um, where we sleep upstairs in the dorm. That was the embalming room. Oh, my, oh my God. God. And downstairs <laughs> that they have locked up, that was the incinerator. Oh, my yeah. God. And by the way, the place where you like to study, because they had a book room. Oh, my God. <gasps> um, that was like my favorite part. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a doctor's office right there. So. Holy <laughs> shit. Oh my gosh. So, I mean, uh, did you see any ghosts? No, but oh, here's an interesting thing. The uh, the dining hall area where we would take our meals and stuff, that was actually, you could tell it was a chapel because all the vaulted archways oh, yeah, and yeah, like yeah. the altars where the kitchen was. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, it was crazy. super trippy. Anyways, um, the best part though about that shelter was not necessarily the staff. It was the volunteers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if anyone's listening, if you're thinking about volunteering, I always say do it. Because volunteers are the people who brighten up your day. They're the ones who come in. They're from the quote-unquote outside world. And when they talk to you, when they would sit down and share dinner with us, you know, treat us like people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was so validating. The thing is, is that sometimes people who work in shelters as staff, they sometimes forget, you know, that they're not just serving the homeless. Right. That they're indeed communicating with and connecting to other people who have storied histories and who are just as complex as they are. Yeah. When volunteers come in, they're kind of fresh and starry-eyed, so it's nice to have someone there who is willing to speak with you and have a conversation, just say, like, you know, how are you doing? Even if things aren't too swift, Yeah. you're still going to be able to tell them, you know, like, oh, well, I'm up to this right now, or just asking questions like, what are you excited about right now? What are you thinking about? Mm-hmm. Don't, of course, don't ask, how'd you get homeless? Right. <laughs> That's a little rude. Yeah. <laughs> um, but just being able to have a conversation with someone is, yeah. and having your humanity revalidated, that, that really was the best part of that. Yeah. Um, but, yes, yeah, so being in the family shelter, that gave us a sense to get our bearings for a little bit. Um, and then after a few days there, you start to notice all the restrictions that come with it. You do have to provide proof of income in order to be at a family shelter. Hmm. Um which when you're homeless, you really don't have that because if you did, you probably wouldn't have gotten homeless. Yeah. But, yeah. but having some sort of proof of general relief or um, if you're receiving any kind of benefits and then a bulk of those benefits actually get bankrolled, which is put underneath the context of, well, you're going to use this to help you secure your first apartment under Section 8, which would be great, except sometimes emergencies come up. Sometimes right. your car gets a flat tire. Sometimes your daughter, me, gets sick. Yeah. You know, and then you don't have access to those funds. Yeah. And we had a jerk case manager who just made our lives miserable. Really? Oh, yeah, he's a dog catcher and scruffing the egg. So, <laughs> ah, he got his. <laughs> so that makes me happy. Anyways, um, so, and then also you're told when to eat, when to go to sleep, when you, you have to be in a certain hour. If you don't, you have to file a report with your case manager about why you're not going to be there. If you break any of these rules, you get written up. If you get written up too many times, you can get evicted. And if you get evicted from a shelter, <sighs> then where do you yeah. go? Yeah. <laughs> you know? What if you're, what if you end up like your first job is working in a restaurant after you're trying to get back on your feet and you come and that you have a night shift? Mm-hmm. Like what then? That's why it's so hard to yeah. live in a shelter and also hold down a job. Yeah. Because then you also... They say, oh, come to this event, and it's at this time in the afternoon where if you don't get it passed through with your case manager that you have work at that time, then you're going to get written up for it. And if you have a jerk case manager, they might not be around to accept your notice. Wow. So it was one of the most – it quickly became a very frustrating experience being at this family shelter. Yeah. And uh, so lights out there were at 9 o'clock. I, again, Whoa. AP student did not go to yeah. bed at 9. So um, 
my dad spoke to the shelter director and she said, okay, you can stay up till 10. Like, oh, <laughs> yay. So, <laughs> so what would happen is that I would work until about 10. The staff would tell me to go on upstairs to the dormitory. And then uh, dormitory, by the way, when I say dormitory, I just want to make this very clear. It's like cubicles. Yeah. And you have like about two beds in each cubicle. One bed has an extra little rollout if you have any, um, a larger family. Um, but you get a cubicle. You have a locker on the other side. And then that's about it. So it's a big open space room with cubicles and anyone's crying baby in the middle of the night becomes your crying baby in the middle of the night. Uh, so what I would do though, is I would take all my stuff up from uh, the library space. It's about maybe as big as this recording studio and um, go upstairs, go into the back of the dormitory where there's a little closet area and can turn on a light. It's usually where parents took their crying babies in the middle of the night to, you know, kind of swallow them up mm -hmm. and um i would work there until whenever i got done oh and sometimes i would get done at 11 sometimes i would get done at 2 yeah but i was guaranteed i had a wake-up call at 6 a.m every morning yeah so it was it was very stressful yeah it probably took a toll on my health um but again i wanted to be at school and that was my safe space that's where i could just focus on my one identity as a student wow um can we take a pause on questions for a second and have you possibly read a passage uh, from the book that reminds you of some of the characters you met while you were in the shelter? Maybe the dog catcher, maybe something else, whatever you like. Well, the dog catcher, <laughs> I will say, isn't in this one. Um, the little extra stories on Scruffy and the Egg, you can actually find on our Facebook page. Just oh, looking up Scruffy cool. and the Egg. So that's where we do, I do little mini series and stuff like that and post bonus comics. Um, let me see here. So we just actually closed our dog catcher arc for, for now. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. We'll link to that in our show notes so that everyone sure. can check it out. Uh, let's see here. I'm trying to think of probably what's a good section. I'm also trying to pick one that doesn't have two, because it's a children's picture book. It does re rely on the images. And the pictures are so beautiful and illustrated by you, we should absolutely say. Yeah, okay. they're great. Are they watercolor? Uh, so, like, Scruffy's fur is watercolor. Mm -hmm. um, for our Facebook uh, comics, I just use uh, I use Copic markers because um, it's easier to keep the fur consistency on that one. Mm -hmm. And uh, okay, let me think here. All right, let's do this section. One day, okay, so Scruffy at this point has been abandoned by his, uh, his family and he goes off searching for them. So he's now officially a stray dog. One day, Scruffy ventures a little farther out of town. After a long day, he falls asleep on a flat, warm rock. He dreams of finding his family again. He probably would have slept straight through the day until something large, white, and round falls out of the sky. Wham! It crashes right into Scruffy's soft tummy. Bouncing from his stomach and off his nose, the object lands safely on the ground with a thud. It's an egg, and a very large egg at that. Looking up, Scruffy can see that it must have come from that nest, above. Way above, and we had this look right up a, uh, a long mountainous range, and we see a nest, and we see a... Well, a parent bird of some kind. I'll leave everyone a little bit guessing on that yes. one. <laughs> Just because it's Scruffy and the egg. Yes. So the egg has a fam also has a family, Scruffy thinks. He decides to return it. Gently, Scruffy pushes it up the cliff with his nose. But the egg wobbles and sways. It won't go straight up. The egg... Uh-oh. It tumbles down Scruffy's back. The egg is getting away. Faster and faster, the egg tumbles away from its home. Aww. Yay! Yay! So that's the moment he meets his egg. That's when he meets the egg at the time. <laughs> what it hatches into, we have yet to see. <laughs> oh, I love that's it. That's so great. Dun, dun, dun. You have to buy the book to find out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, when did you when did so when did you and your dad start telling these stories? At what stage of this? Right. So, when we were in the process of going homeless, in other words, we were still living in an apartment in Glendale, um, 
there was a stray dog in the area, and uh, I just both of our hearts went out to him. We're, we're big animal lovers, but we couldn't afford, obviously, to keep mm-hmm. a dog, and especially in the process of losing our home, this wasn't an ideal time to just run out and try and adopt a doggy. But um, we would see him around, and we started calling him Scruffy. So Aww. he was a small, it looked like a terrier crossbreed or something else. Um, and uh, every year that passed, it little, looked a little bit scragglier, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I, I remember my dad, you know, always saying, like, oh, look, at there goes the Scruffy dog there. And it was just a local stray. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When we lost our home and then became homeless, my dad said, well, think of us like the scruffy dog. Mm. And, um, and then it became my dad saying, I'm the scruffy dog. And then I'm like, well, <laughs> what about me? And he's like, you, you're an egg. You don't do anything. <laughs> 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 you're just there. You sit there and you squawk and I have to feed you. And <laughs> 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 like, some liability, thanks. He's <laughs> <laughs> dad. Yeah. So that's how we be- how it became Scruffy and mm-hmm. the egg. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, again, it became this outlet for what we're experiencing. So our case manager became... Um, the dog catcher in the story. Uh, other people that we met became either different animals or different people that we would engage with. And just the idea of a of having a quote unquote single dad dog, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that looks after this, you know, egg sort of captured other dimensions of our relationship, you know. Me being a, you know, a daughter raised by a single dad, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, you know, in the way that he also navigated kind of those experiences. I mean, yeah. my, my father, I, you know, of course, I idealize with all the hero worship of being a child, you know. Of course. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's still also, though, I can't imagine what it must have been like for him. Yeah. And he obviously did a good job and did his very best. But I mean, look at I mean, you turned out look amazing. Yeah. Look yeah. at you now. Um, but I, I can't fathom really what that must have taken. Yeah. And um, what it meant to be singularly devoted to seeing your child's success. And yeah. then also having to protect them during such a volatile space. I will yeah. say that of all the families there and of all the kids there at the shelter, I was probably the most protected and probably the most um, sheltered, for lack of a better mm-hmm. word, um, in making sure that, you know, I was still at the same school. I still had as many amenities as possible as a house student would, mm-hmm. you know. And my dad always went through extra lengths to, you know, try and push time at the library for me if I could. Because there was no, by the way, there's no internet at the shelter. Uh, so, like, if I want to research for a product or something, my flash drive was my best friend. Yeah. If you want to donate anything to kids, donate flash drives. You know? Oh, that's okay. great that's to know. Good. Yeah. Um, because that immediately is your data storage drive. Sure. You know, and I was fortunate to have a laptop that I could still work on. Yeah. Uh, I had gotten that about three years before we went homeless and it was still tech chugging away so I used that as um as a place where I wrote everything where I got to work on stuff and then I would take my flash drive and print it off over at school mm-hmm. that's so, amazing yeah, yeah you learn to be really resourceful in these situations I'm sure you yeah. do yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so how did your dad get back on his feet from that experience too admittedly it was really hard yeah um so we got section 8 housing in April 2009 just a couple months before I graduated from high school wow and so you were homeless yeah. over a full year yeah. Um, so November two thousand seven, April two thousand nine. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So it was it was quite a stretch. Yeah. And having to wait out that period. Yeah. You don't know what's gonna happen. No. <laughs> um, so uh, to answer your question though, um, for one, it was just okay. We got to settle ourselves, and you know, really, I think one of the things that I really truly believe that after coming out of homelessness, and even my dad agrees with me on this, like. You think we should go to therapy? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, and then, of course, the whole, you know, being POC, therapy is for white people. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> so it's like, but, Dad, we can't live the stigma you know, <laughs> of saying that we need to, you know, overcome these barriers and see that mental health, you know, yeah. is something that needs to be regarded everywhere. He's like, we're Mexican. It's fine. So, <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> that being said, though, we also didn't go to, we probably should have gone to doctors. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, healthcare, it's expensive to go see a doctor. Um, I'm barely now starting to take care of my own dental health. I just got braces this past year. Um, but uh, anyways, during that time, though, um, we were, I guess, mildly neglectful of our health just to, you know, just try and getting resettled into a home. Yeah. And then me going off to college within the next six months or less. Yeah. So um, it really just was one thing to the next. 
in April 2012, though, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. Oh, God. So, um, yeah, so then he went on to disability at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he passed away in spring 2016. Wow. Wow. I'm so sorry. Mm. But he knew you were working on this book before he passed away. Oh, yeah. He saw everything except for the bound copy. So if he didn't see anything, it'd probably be like the cover and the back. Yeah. Um, But that's, uh, for the most part, he saw the illustrations and everything else and knew that I was getting it copyrighted. That's did he get so to sign cool. off on the story? Did he have some input before your final version? When's the next one coming out? <laughs> oh. Why are you so slow? Oh We've been working God. on this for six... My dad was... Dad. Like, oh, dad. My dad was like many other parents, so critical. Yeah. Yeah. You can never please them. <laughs> so I just hope he's smoking a cigarette somewhere saying, ah, that's okay. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure he is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow, what a story. What a journey. Yeah, really. that's, that's a crazy, amazing story. <laughs> Um, what do you wish people knew about homelessness that they don't know? So much, to be honest. It's a big question. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just one from my perspective, when people think of homelessness, they don't often think of children. Right. Um, I would say the typical image or society conjures of being homeless is a single adult male. Mm-hmm. And they often associate that image with, some kind of substance abuse, mental illness, and a lack of cleanliness and hygiene. And the truth is that homelessness comes from trimorbidity for so a whole bunch of different reasons. So for me and my dad, that was the economic recession and other family circumstances, the divorce and everything else that just wiped us out. Mm-hmm. Um, for other individuals, sometimes it's mental health, sometimes mental health combined with trying to self-medicate. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's just things take a sour turn. Everyone has a different story. So I would say if I wish that people knew anything, it's just not to judge. Yeah. A lot also homeless young adults are just young people who age out of the foster care system. Right, right. And since the recession, homelessness overall across the nation has gone up by 50%. So it's crazy. And then on top of that, if you're in Los Angeles, HACLA, during the recession, cut its budget down to 20%. So our housing um, here in L, our affordable housing assistance in LA is only operating at 20%. It hasn't actually increased its budget since then uh, from the recession. So it's crazy. And now we're in the midst of a housing crisis too. I, I wish that people understood more about the diversity of of the population mm-hmm. and just understanding that um you know you have young people like like me mm-hmm. and uh, you have young people like all the kids that i saw at the shelter mm-hmm. with me um having uh since i was there in the library all the time i wound up kind of being the quote-unquote de facto tutor for all the kids there wow. <laughs> you know so it was I mean, on one hand, it was cool to kind of have, you know, young kids around me. But on the other hand, I go, shoot, you're this young and you're in this boat right now. Right, right. And sometimes they didn't really realize it. And then sometimes they were too keenly aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. So just understanding that so much goes into this. And it's it's not just one narrative or one thing that Mm -hmm. society feeds you. And then also understanding that there's a lot of low-key ways that being homeless is criminalized. Mm-hmm. So in L.A. County, actually, you can't feed anyone on the street. And, yeah, I know. Otherwise, you can actually get, um, you get a ticket for it. What? <laughs> yeah. Why? And, um, because this is the pretext of you can't guarantee the health code of the food that you're giving them okay. or the quality. You know? Okay. And then on top of that, you also have things like loitering in public. That's, mm-hmm. you know, that you can get a citation right. for that. Um, or if you walk down the street, especially in downtown, you notice that some kind of flat areas of buildings where people might say sit or hang out on have spikes on them now. I've been seeing yeah. articles about this. So these are all different ways to say, or um, you also can't sleep in your car. That's illegal too. Yeah. Um, so I know that because a friend of mine is an advocate for tiny homes and he knows like all the rules about where you can park your car, where you can't park your car, mm-hmm. where you're likely to get spotted. It's it's insanity. And also, like, I didn't really realize what counts legally as homelessness and what doesn't count. Right. Um, and we're probably not counting. You aren't counting couch surfers. Yeah. Right? And those are people who have no place to stay. Exactly. We're not counting thousands and thousands of people who are technically legally homeless. So the issues like 
way it's a way bigger issue than I think we even know because so many people are legally homeless that aren't even getting counted. Yeah, so yeah. the uh, the nonprofit org that uh, I work closely with, School on Wheels Inc. Um, one of their initiatives, uh, as mentioned earlier, they provide academic support services primarily as tutors, but they also do transcript tracking and provide school supplies. So if you want to donate school supplies, go through School on Wheels Inc. Um, they um, one of their big initiatives right now is to go deep, which means looking for students whose families are living in motels mm. uh, and looking for students who are living out of cars. Mm-hmm. So these are the kids that are hardest to track mm-hmm. um, just because, um, so like me and my dad, we lived in a motel for a couple months. Right. And um, of course, you don't want to say, oh yeah, I'm living here right now because God forbid child services takes your, your right. kid away from you. Um, and, uh, so what School on Wheels does, uh, you know, they'll go over to a motel that they're pretty sure there's a family around there yeah. and they'll do things like, Hey, free backpacks. Would you like a free backpack? You know, right. and then just, just like casually make, kind of make resources available. Right. And build that rapport and then be able to say like, Hey, by the way, we offer tutoring, you know, mm-hmm. and the whole notion of School on Wheels is that they don't have they don't have a bus, although they have a big smiling bus as their logo. Um, mm-hmm. Their wheels are metaphorical. Their wheels are the tutors who go over and meet students that are living at their shelters or are over in libraries or want to meet at a school or something like that. Uh, school on Wheels is also going into uh, the tents along Skid Row and doing the same thing. Would you like a backpack? Do you need this? Is there anything we can get you? So rather than, you know, coming from the scary perspective of, you know, we're going to report, which School on Wheels does not do mm-hmm. um, in terms of trying to offer resources, mm-hmm. um, what they want to do is first make sure that they're building trust with the student and letting the family know that your kid can come here and there is a community willing to support them. That's wow. amazing. What That's a cool incredible. organization. Yeah, they are. So I actually met School on Wheels when my dad and I were homeless and we were living at the shelter. And um, I had noticed that there were tutors who had come from the outside world and worked with the students there at the shelter. One of the, uh, the tutor coordinators at my site, um, Natasha, she came over to me and said, hey, you're new here. Do you need help with anything? And I was like, eh, I got a handle on it. I'm good right now. She goes, okay, cool. Uh, and then senior year of high school, through the poor advice of a counselor, um, I was told to take AP Calculus. I was a history major in college. If you remember our last podcast, <laughs> yes, yes. the magicians, okay? <laughs> I, I, I don't do this calculus stuff. <laughs> I took AP Stats the year before trying to avoid calculus. Yeah. Um, but uh, so anyway, so I take this class, I hit the wall, and I hunt down Natasha as fast as I can the next time I see her at the shelter. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, I need a math tutor. She's like, oh, my God, you need a tutor, yeah. <laughs> what kind of math? And I go, calculus. And she's like, oh, uh-huh. uh, give us a couple weeks. <laughs> so um, so they do find me a math tutor. And they don't just find me any math tutor. They find me a graduate student in astrophysics over at Caltech. What? Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. It was so cool. Yeah. And, like, so the shelter's in Pasadena. And, uh the Caltech grad student, by the way, is like this, you know, like French foreign exchange student, all that stuff, yeah. you know, um, or international student, I should say. Um, he's like, I will help you with your calculus. Like, oh, my God, <laughs> you're so cool. You know? <laughs> and he, he was, um, when I say cool, I really mean it because he took me to a Stephen Hawking's lecture. What? Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, over at Caltech. Um, I never saw any of the campuses I applied to college until I actually started going to UCLA. Mm-hmm. And um, so the first college campus I ever saw was Caltech. Yeah, my it's beautiful. Gave me a tour. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and, you know, it's when amazing. you're there on a college campus, it makes it so much more than just a pamphlet. Yeah. It made me go, I want to go to some place like this. That's <laughs> so cool. Yeah. That is cool. What a cool person. So if you're looking to volunteer, volunteer with School on Wheels, Inc. Yeah. You know, That's you, wow. amazing. You really make such a difference being that breath of fresh air, being that outside person who gets to come in. It's a commitment of one hour a week, mm-hmm. but they will match you based upon your region. Mm-hmm. So School on Wheels has uh, at least 10 regions, you know, going from as far north, north of Ventura County to as far south as Orange County and then all over the Los Angeles area. Mm-hmm. So uh, they are a fantastic organization. As at UCLA, I um, created our first student faction of School on Wheels, Inc. So we would go over to our West LA shelter and then there was another one over in North Hollywood. That so not only to. were you creating a, like a female magician's league that's mm-hmm. not the correct terminology well <laughs> at UCLA, you were also creating, you also began a School on Wheels 
Shout so I mean, we had a yeah. magician. We have You're a magic amazing. club at UCLA, <laughs> and then the WMA, the Women Magicians Association, didn't start up until 2014. Okay, so well, you still after. you still have been doing a <laughs> you lot. You still got a lot done in in undergrad. <laughs> yeah, sleep was optional. But <laughs> yeah, and uh, currently though, I do serve on the board of directors for School on Wilson. Wow, cool. mm-hmm. very cool. So this organization is very near and dear to my heart. Yeah, and that's why scrapping the egg also means so much, and that's why I was intentionally book launched there. Yeah. That's so cool. So did you keep in touch with people from that time of your life? From the shelter? Yeah. Yes, I did. I kept in touch with a few of the other kids and their families. Um, well, we're not kids now anymore. We're all quote unquote grown up. Yeah. Um, but let's hear, because I'm thinking like the youngest one, he might have been maybe like 10 or so. Um, and now he's, God, he's like 19. Oh my God, it's weird. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, uh, and so he did okay-ish you know I mean his family actually got housing not too far from mine um it's kind of one of those you sort of touch base again every few years yeah. mm-hmm. um he came to my dad's funeral which was really nice oh. um and uh another uh student um she's uh she's a trans woman and when she and her mom moved out of the shelter her mom ultimately disowned her, and then she had her own experience trying to just navigate her way. Wow. So that in itself, I can't imagine what her experience has been yeah. like. And yeah. then um, another uh, girl that I've been in touch with, she died six months afterwards. Um, oh. Yeah, it was uh, it was a car accident. Oh. Um, so it was, yeah, I have no words for that. Um, yeah. Wow. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's a really interesting cohort, you know, I mean... This was kind of the shared experience we all had, but in terms of how we came out afterwards, it varied for a lot of us. You yeah. Know? And to an extent, that was also, you know, I was fortunate to have a dad who, like, we were the only family unit. Um, like, we were each other's only family unit, but at the same time, that also meant that I got all the attention. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, so I didn't have any other siblings, and he was also stable enough in himself to you know take care of me and do everything he could to make sure i was you know i was in a good position to go on to college etc yeah yeah Yeah. wow um can you speak at all to how homelessness affects women kind of very differently than it affects men yeah um i can talk a little bit about that um i mean fortunately unfortunately you can find I don't want to say a few more resources for women. Um, in well, for me and my dad, we were lucky to find a family shelter that took um, fathers and children. There aren't mm-hmm. too many shelters like that, actually. Most of right. them are women and children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what I will also say, though, is that um, like Downtown Women's Center is the only shelter in uh, in the immediate Los Angeles area that is dedicated to just women's resources, as well as providing housing just for women. And it's only single women. Okay, so no uh, uh, women families, but um, it um, it does provide that kind of space. But the fact that there's a dearth of that also says something else too. Right. And um, when you are a woman, you are also more vulnerable, obviously. You know, so things like sexual assault, um, not having any of your reports validated or believed, also comes up. Um, one of uh, I'm speaking with confidentiality here. Um, one of uh, the girls at our shelter um, was date raped off site, and the case manager really couldn't do anything to handle it. So it just, and then her family moved on from the shelter afterwards. Yeah. So, you know, there's just so much that is wrapped up into it. And then also just having the sheer need of different, I guess, different hygienic needs, you know, right. also come up. So, like I was saying about being on my period, I know, you know, and the fact that tampons and pads aren't always free, you know, and you have to pay mm-hmm. 75 cents or 50 cents or wherever you go, you know, so yeah. right. you have to have change on you, exactly. So, you right. know, so it's, you know, it's always one thing after another. And it's um, just trying to get a break in this, you know, and then when you're viewed as a woman who is homeless and if you're a woman with kids you know then you get the weird stigma of Mm -hmm. we have the phrase welfare queen now you know so there's just so much that goes that gets wrapped up into it to be honest um there's this i oh oh, sorry i run a blog uh called poverty to professional which details a little bit more about my experiences as a homeless teen 
Uh, I haven't yet added the section about uh, going to college and being a first-generation student. So right now it just focuses on youth homelessness, but there is an entry in there about uh, women in homelessness. Mm -hmm. And I've got more of the exact stats on there available. Yeah, Yeah. we have a stat here that 92% of homeless women have experienced severe uh, sexual or physical assaults at some point. I would believe that. Yeah. You know, and again, also what I mentioned about the shelf, uh, like, the emergency shelter, for instance. Yeah. If you are a single woman alone, or heck, even if you're in the in the family section of it, there's no guarantee that you're actually safe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Whew. I mean, so then, I mean, one of the things they say to always donate is is tampons and pads. So that that is probably a truthism that like that is a welcome donation always. I would agree there. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of other stats that I mean they're bummers but i feel like they're important and interesting in a in a sad in a sad way not in a good way um right. homeless women in their mid 50s are as psychologically uh, physiologically aged as housed women in their 70s wow so like the toll that the constant stress yes definitely. takes on your mind and body um uh homeless women have three times the normal uh rate of ptsd uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes yeah. Sense. And again, this is apparently the largest growing population of homelessness is is right now women. So yeah, yeah. Um, I believe that. Yeah, it's a crisis. Because yeah. if you also think about it, I mean, domestic ab- abuse and domestic violence plays a role in that too. Absolutely. And if if you need a place to stay, you're going to get desperate, and you might end up staying with someone who's abusive to you. Right. And when that situation falls apart you need to run. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, I, I would definitely agree. We did have some women, um, at the shelter where I was at who were just passing through yeah. and needed to be there in yeah. order to move on to their next location. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of shelters like, don't disclose their locations and yeah. they intentionally remain very, very careful about, um, mm-hmm. saying where they are or where you can apply, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. So usually you are, you're addressed by someone else outside the shelter, so that way they can let you know about the location. And in the case of women fleeing domestic violence, they want to make sure that their location is as secure as possible and as confidential as possible. Yeah. Wow. Um, I just want to say that our stats today came from projectrenewal.org, um, whose mission is to empower adults and help children to renew their lives with health, homes, and jobs. Um, so that's where those stats came from today. Well, to turn things in a... Uh, a more upper of a direction. What is in store for the future of Scruffy and the Egg? Uh, let's see here. Um, in store for the future of Scruffy and the Egg, well, um, definitely a couple more books in the works. Mm-hmm. Um, hoping to release the next one by uh, early this summer. So maybe wow, June. cool. Mm-hmm. So Scruffy and the Egg will be a series of books. Yes, yeah, so awesome. it is intended to be a series and. Uh, all of our gags and jokes and stuff are available online, <laughs> you know. So uh, we we also have an Instagram. Awesome, <laughs> follow it. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so we we post our comics. Um, I will have a public reading over at Flint Ridge Bookstore on Saturday from ten uh, thirty in the morning to eleven thirty. Uh, it's Saturday, February seventeenth. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. We'll try and get this up before then. Awesome. Um, Amazing. Yeah, and uh, in terms of, so the, uh, again, the purpose of Scruffing the Egg is also to make sure that it gets into the hands of families who are experiencing homelessness. And so um, I have donated uh, several copies of the books to School on Wheels, Inc. Uh, So they have copies that are available at their downtown learning center as well as um, uh, during the book launch, uh, students who were present, who were from the local Union Rescue Mission, also each received a copy to take uh, back with them with their families. Um, and so my goal is also to start going to other uh, shelters and other family shelter locations, being able to give out the book like that, too. Amazing. So cool. Um, for people who can buy the book, where can they buy it? Um, so Amazon is an option, but I would strongly recommend that uh, you please reach out to me through my website. That's www.angelamsanchez.com. Um, so M is a monkey. <laughs> uh, angelamsanchez.com. And we'll link that too. Yeah. And uh, it's, uh, I prefer if you order directly from me just because Amazon takes up 
chunk out of me <laughs> every time people order from sure. there. And yep. if you want to see the next book, that those proceeds always make it a little bit easier. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so another thing to like take action uh, as we like wrap up here, what is one small thing like anybody could do to help with the homeless crisis in America? Gee whiz. I mean, I always say step one is number one, educate yourself, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's always good to come in with as an inf- as much of an informed perspective as possible. Uh, I always appreciate too when uh, folks can educate themselves specifically about child and youth homelessness or, uh, I mean, women homelessness, um, women's homelessness just because that also relates keenly to family homelessness as well. And just understanding that there are so many, again, varied stories and narratives that go into this as well. Step two, though, that you can take that is actionable would be, one, after you're educated, go and educate someone else Mm -hmm. and then find out in your area what policies or what might be on the ballot upcoming next, you know, um, or what um, your next local candidate wants to take into consideration. Ask them, what are you going to do about homelessness or reaching students or families who are experiencing homelessness in the area? Mm -hmm. And on top of that, I mean, check out also local organizations for L.A., I would say School on Wheels, um, but look at places where you can volunteer either your time, if you would like to make a donation, if um, any, find out what your population also needs. So for kids, I always say, you know, give them a flash drive, give them some kind of school supply, and if you can volunteer your time, that's even better Mm -hmm. because the difference you make as a human being being there and again, giving someone just a bit of your time for a kid, I mean, it means so much to see you there every week. Yeah. <laughs> and for me and my tutor, it was him just being there every week and knowing I could count on him to show up. Right. Um, and, uh, or if you just need to, if you, maybe you don't have the time to volunteer every single week, but you can do a soup kitchen, mm-hmm. you know, dedicating your time and then not just serving, but actually sitting down and having a meal with someone. Mm-hmm. That makes a big difference restoring that kind of human connection really means a lot. And honestly, it also informs your perspective too as a volunteer. Yeah. This has been amazing. Thank you for your time. Yeah. Thank you for talking about sensitive issues. Thank you for writing this book. This was such a cool time to take this time and and know more layers of Angela Sanchez. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks for sharing yeah. your birthday with us. Yeah. yeah Happy, birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday. Oh my gosh. What a, what an episode. What I know night. this was amazing. <laughs> um real quick before we sign off, I just want to remind everyone that our uh hotline is up and running. I'm gonna sure read that number right now as soon 657-243-3789. Six five seven two four three three seven eight nine. Six five seven two four three three seven eight nine. We haven't set up the voicemail on it yet, but we will shortly. Uh, so if it just says, hey, state your name, leave a message, that's what it says right now. You've got the right hotline. You've reached the clams. You can leave us a message about whatever you like. Yeah, um, we'll play it on the air. We'll answer your questions on the air. Um, and follow us on social media at Welcome to the Clambake to find out what who our future guests will be so that you can uh, call in with your questions for future guests as well. Yeah, thanks for talking to the Clam on our hotline and listening to this podcast. We'll talk to you soon, Clams. Bye. Bye. How do you like me now? Maybe as a chowder or on a platter with melted butter and tangy mustard in a cluster from the coast of California. A trust of luscious muscles bathed in the gravitational pull of the moon with a new batch coming soon. Fresh baked and tastefully welcoming you to the clam bake. Welcome to the clam bake. Welcome to the clam bake. Welcome to the clam bake. Campfire.